Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast for shining a light on bright ideas. And today we are jumping into the executive search market. This is an incredible story. You guys are going to love it. It's a great startup called ExecThread. It's been out there now for almost four years. And on the podcast today is one of my good friends, Joe Meyer, who is the founder and CEO of ExecThread. Joe, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast. Sure thing. Yeah, for those of you who don't know Joe, he's got just an incredible background. Uh, undergrad from Georgetown, political science, MBA from Wharton. Uh, a lot of his background is spent in brand marketing, sales, e-commerce, late 90s, early 2000s in the internet strategy space. Uh, spent some time at eBay, has built his own companies. He actually moved over to lead. I was a CEO of an incredible startup called Hopstop.com that was acquired by Apple. Um, and then he decided to start Exec thread almost four years ago now. So, um, and that has just been an, an incredible story. Uh, it's one where it's it's just recently uh, picked up quite a bit of funding, and uh, the community is just a, an incredible idea that that Joe had, and we're going to talk about a lot of that today. So, Joe, let's start with help us understand how did you get into the startup space and talk about how Exec thread was formed. Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Justin. It's uh, great to be here. Um, so my my. Uh, route to startups uh, was a little circuitous. Um, I started my career in the sports marketing and sports management space, and I found myself in my early 20s pre-MBA at a company called Upper Deck, which I'm not sure if they're, they're still doing this, but they made, <laughs> they made, they made baseball cards Absolutely. and cards and, yeah. and sports memorabilia. And it was a company that was only uh, two or three years old when I got there, and they went from zero to 300 million in the, in the first couple of Wow. years in terms wow. of revenues. And then they got, you know, kind of, uh, side swiped by having, uh, been adversely affected by, uh, the major league baseball strike, the NHL lockout. And they went back down to 75 million in revenue the next year. And it was a very, oh, uh, it was a very, uh, you know, um, fast paced environment, very entrepreneurial, gave uh, young kids back like myself back then uh, a chance to run you know multi-million dollar businesses and sure. um, just very entrepreneurial and I got a, a chance to be a I guess you would call it an entrepreneur back then but, but more importantly I was working for an entrepreneurial organization and that was the point in my career where I realized that it wasn't so much sports that I was interested in from a business perspective it was fast-paced high growth environments and uh, I went back and got my MBA and wanted to get back into fast-paced, high-growth environments. Uh, I spent the summer at Clorox in between my oh, first yeah. and second yep. year, and uh, uh, to be, you know, nothing against Clorox, great company, but I found it to be—it's <laughs> a different pace, be, right? <laughs> yeah, I found it to be dreadfully boring, to be quite honest, and <laughs> right. uh, and uh, compared to my prior, you know, more entrepreneurial experiences, Absolutely. so I I wanted to go back into uh, an entrepreneurial experience and. At that time in my career, the uh, dot com boom was happening. The That's first right. wave of innovation, Late 90s, early two thousands, internet e- strategy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, I decided to jump in head first into uh, Silicon Valley. Absolutely. And you became so. I know you spent a little time at PwC, and uh, again, late nineties, early two thousands, uh, dot com times, and then you became CEO of a very interesting company called Hopspot. So share with our listeners what Hopspot was, and then how you went through that acquisition. Yeah, so it was a hop stop actually. Um, stop. Yeah, and 
I was the CEO of that company. It was uh, an early innovator in the transit uh, mapping and navigation and location-based services space. Um, a predecessor to Google Maps, actually. Oh, Hopstop was the first company that uh, provided multimodal transit routing, uh, which is a fancy way of saying getting you from door to door through a combination of walking and public transit directions, wow. which in large cities like New York and London and, and San Francisco and and Chicago is a, a very popular way of getting around. Uh, and this is pre Uber, of course. Of course. Um, so, um, you know, uh, that was a great experience. Google maps did come onto the scene after we started the company and, um, you know, we were able to successfully sell the company to Apple, um, which is now powering their, their transit routing and, and navigation system. Well, I'm curious, you know, you're in, and we'll fast forward now to, you're in the executive search business, but looking back on that opportunity, you were not like a founder of that company, if I'm, if, uh, if I'm correct, right? And so how did you make your way into that CEO role? What was it that helped you to find that position? Yeah, it's a great question. So I wasn't the founder. Uh, I was the CEO. took over Took over for the founder. Interesting. Uh, very much, in, very much empowered to run the company as if I was the founder. So it was it was a great experience in that regard. Um, to make a long story short, though, the one of the uh, uh, large angel investors in that company and a board member was the CEO of a prior startup at which I was an executive. Got it. And I ran and I ran revenue for that company and. Huh we were able to uh, successfully sell that company to AOL. Um, and uh, when I was at AOL as a VP of sales post acquisition, uh, the founder of the company that we sold to AOL, which was called Quigo, which okay. was a contextual contextual ad network, uh, that founder invested in Hopstop during the board and uh, uh, they realized they needed a, a different type of CEO to take the company to the next level and beyond. And, uh, I guess I was one of those uh, first calls that he made. That's and, awesome. Uh, that's Power of the I'm network, right? Power of the network. Exactly. Well, and and that leads us to where you are today, and and this is how you and I were initially introduced. So, um, you know, a couple years ago, I was, as you know, I'm a big relationship guy and have a big network. And one of my um, good friends who I'd worked with at Coca-Cola, her name is Carol Cruz, is now the CMO of Cambria Health. Uh, she was like, hey, you should check out this platform. It may be something where you can send referrals or connect others in your network into opportunities. And it was called ExecThread. And I'm like, what is this thing I need to be referred to, right, to be part of this um, community? And when I researched it, I was so blown away by the idea this whole idea of bringing transparency and and access to um, opportunities, career opportunities that maybe aren't out there on job boards or in publicly um, listed locations. And I was so impressed by this. And it was, uh, as I was doing my homework on you and the company, I was really impressed by what you've created here. So talk about how did you decide to start ExecThread, Joe, and, and what got it off the ground? Yeah. So maybe I'll start with uh, describing what ExecThread is uh, for your audience. So quite simply, ExecThread is a platform that provides access to the best jobs in the world. Um, and the way we do that is by crowdsourcing them from the best professionals in the world. What that essentially means is is the majority of the jobs, as you know, Justin, at the executive level, VP and above at small companies, director and above at, at larger companies, all the way up to the C-suite are not publicly posted they're, they're not on job boards. And the only way that professionals like you and I can get access to those jobs is if either we are fortunate enough to be approached by an executive recruiter, which, right. as you know, is we don't have any control over. <laughs> right. Very You're little hoping. control over. You're hoping, right. And then, uh, and then two, uh, you know, maybe someone in your network has heard about the job and proactively 
mentioned it to you. Either way, the chances of getting approached for these jobs, even if you're a successful uh, professional like you or I, uh, is pretty much happenstance and, and, you know, luck of the draw. Um, and, uh, I decided, you know, that that wasn't the way, uh, it should be. Uh, it doesn't advantage the candidate at all. And the last time I checked, the candidate is the person who has to, you know, take a few, <laughs> right. few years out of their lives to, to, you know, to take these jobs. And, no question. you know, you talk, you talk about one of the best, the most important decisions in your life besides, you know, uh, you know, who, you know, do you get married and who do you get married to? And, maybe whether you buy a house or not and have kids, you know, besides that, you know, where you work, um, is one of the biggest decisions in your life. So to not have control over that process seemed counterintuitive to me. And more importantly, you know, I think in this day and age where everything is, you know, uh, a finger, you know, a, a, a swipe of your, your phone away or, a, you know, a tap on a click away, um, from, you know, from getting to your doorfront, to still have the best jobs in the world uh, not be readily accessible uh, seemed really, uh, um, you know, uh, like a bad experience to me. And to be quite honest, and fast forward two or three years later, uh, we're finding out that the the professionals in our network who are benefiting the most from this are those that are underrepresented wow. women and people women and people of color. So we've grown the network to date completely organically we've just let the network grow naturally as sure. you said before sure. it started out, out as a referral only service where you could only gain access to it if you were referred to it by an existing member but we've since opened it up to uh you know walk-up traffic sure. we've always kept the, the curation level very strong and very high so we're very high caliber sure um but fast forward two and three years later and we found out that 50% of our members are women and people of color, wow. which wow. gives you a really good indication of, you know, for one reason or another, those professionals feel like they haven't had as much access to these jobs sure. um, as much as they should have. And they haven't had as much access for whatever reason, but we're a platform exec thread is that gives all of our members uh, much greater access into the hidden job market. In fact, we've crowdsourced over 10,000, of these confidential jobs wow. uh, over the past two or three years, which gives you an indication of, you know, the power of the network. If, if you're on your own out there trying to get access to these jobs, maybe you find out about a handful a month. If you're lucky, That's right. uh, we, we, we provide you with access to thousands at a time. No question. Yeah. I've, and, and I've seen it, the power of this network work with friends and colleagues and, and my own self, I've um, pursued one or two of those over the years. So this, this business launched in 2015. And I, I'm curious to know when you decided, okay, this is an interesting idea. I can disintermediate the industry somewhat, or, you know, this industry isn't, isn't really working for all of us. Um, how did you get the community started? In other words, did you have to have a, at least a set number of roles, you know, first, or did you need people sending jobs in first? Or like, what was, what was the key to triggering the initial community? So you started getting momentum. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So uh, I started out as a side project, a, a passion project, um, while I was still working at Apple. Uh, so I was, I was doing it on the side. And I, I came up with the idea in my head, and I immediately thought it had some interesting business potential, but instead of trying to dive in headfirst to it and quit my day job, I decided to try to incubate it on the side. And I simply took the jobs that I had on my desk, right. which um, you know uh, were in London and Chicago at the time. And that gives you an indication of kind of <laughs> uh, the strange uh, uh, 
the strangeness of the executive search industry. Right. I've never I've never worked in London or Chicago. Right. And I'm getting approached for jobs <laughs> in London, Chicago, and I have no interest in moving to those cities. In any event, um, <laughs> right, you're in New um, York. Right. Yeah, I'm in New York. Spent a significant time in San Francisco, and yep. uh, so I was getting approached for some jobs. They happened to be in London and Chicago at the time. And they weren't a good fit for me. And I thought to myself, these gotta, these have to be a much better fit for someone else than me. So how do I efficiently try to get these jobs in front of the right people? So I, I decided to you know, scan my network. And I found around 50 people in my network based in uh, London and or Chicago. And I simply sent them an email and said, hey, you know, I'm getting approached for jobs of late, you know, maybe because my last company was acquired by Apple. And um I'm sitting on some jobs in London and Chicago. Would you like me to share them with you? Uh, and oh, by the way, if you share, if I share these with you, then all I would ask in return is you share with me the jobs on your desk. Sure. Absolutely. Um, job opportunities. Yep. Yeah. But I also said, hey, I'm sending this email out to 50 other people just like you, high quality people. And if you decide to join this informal network, uh, the jobs you share with me, I'm going to share with them, and the jobs they got share it. with me, I'm going to share with you. Huh, do you want in? Here. Yep, got it. Exactly. Do you want in or do you not? And uh, the vast majority said they wanted in. <laughs> to make a long story short, uh, I shared my jobs with them, and uh, they didn't wind up sharing their jobs with me. But the reason was is because I was uh, twofold. One is I was a little too transparent in the way I shared the jobs with the first few members. I disclosed who was the person sharing it. Uh, interesting. The hiring company up front. Sure. I disclosed who the So they could bypass you and go right to those people if they wanted to. Yeah, and I think it was actually also an issue of uh, you know, maybe I don't want to share if my name's attached to it. Got you it. Know what I mean? Yep. Sure. Um so I decided to kind of uh create a point system to create some incentive to give. And I also decided that um to find out the key information that executives wanted to find out about these jobs, i.e. the name of the hiring company sure. and the name of the recruiter. The recruiter I decided yeah. to uh, you know, make you work for that a little bit. And <laughs> the way you work for it is by either referring people into the network, in which case you get awarded with credit for that, or by submitting jobs in the network that you're getting approached for but not interested in pursuing. And if you did either one of those two things, we would issue credit or points. And with that credit or points, you can redeem those points to find out the names of hiring companies and recruiters associated with those jobs that other members were contributing. Ever since we did that early days, people started uh, contributing much more. Um, you know, a little bit of a carrot, carrot in the stick. Yeah, it's a, a give to get. A, That's like a give to, to get, get, right? Get. I mean, exactly. you have to have some stake in the game. You can't just get everything for free. It's not a freebie. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that makes I, sense. I will say this, though. It, uh, it does create some intentional friction in our user experience, which, <laughs> you know, most online services are trying to reduce friction. I mean, we are too, but um, in this regard, it's intentional friction. I think it's it's wise. Yeah, so, and, and you've, You've uh, set up some of how the system works today. And so, um, and I'll share some of this and you can provide maybe the other perspective on it. So as a member of the community, if you um, receive a recruiter call or a a role comes across your desk, um, I get a couple of those a week. And if it has the name of the company and the recruiter, I can forward that over to Joe's team and it gets posted on the exec thread um, site. And then I get points. I get credit for that submission. And then I can then find an opportunity, go and redeem those points to find out 
about a role, um, who the recruiter is, et cetera. And it's a pretty cool system in terms of how that works. And what did I miss yeah, there, that, Joe? <laughs> yeah, that, that other members are contributing. Yeah, you get access to any exactly. job that other members are contributing. The only other thing I would say is uh, we make it very simple for our members to submit these jobs to us. They simply, follow, you know, the, as you know, Justin, the majority of these jobs come across your desk via email or LinkedIn email. Um, and that has the majority, if not all the information that we need to be able to post it on our platform, but we don't, we don't do two things. We don't, um, um, we don't, uh, disclose the name of the person, the executive member who's submitting the job to us. That's kept anonymous and that's important. Uh, if we want our members to continue sharing them with us Two is we don't simply post the email thread or the position description on our site. We uh, take all of the information in the email thread and the position description, and we recraft it into our own language and uh, into what looks like a job listing. Um, and, and we structure it and curate it and vet it uh, before we post it. Um, so it's not just one big list serve. It's an, it's an actual user experience that looks strikingly similar to a job board, but it just so happens to be the best jobs in the world. Well, and it's interesting that you moved away from the referral system. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. So for those that aren't familiar with the, the background of how ExecThread grew, uh, it used to be that you had to have someone refer you to the platform. And then it became a platform that's now open. So Joe, talk about that decision and how you came to evolving it in that direction. So we didn't get rid of the, the referral system. We, uh, we still have a referral system. And Anytime an executive member like yourself refers, you know, peers in their network to ExecThread and that peer winds up joining, uh, we, we issue you points and credit for that. Uh, it still is to this day the single largest source of inbound, uh, you know, uh, user acquisition leads for us. Um, you know, we have a very loyal, highly engaged user base and, and I'll touch on that in a second. Um, but, you know, what we did, we, we found ourselves getting approached by high quality professionals reactively, meaning, you know, getting emails and LinkedIn emails and, and phone calls even from, uh, from professionals throughout the world saying, Hey, I, I heard about this service. would love to join. And we were actually turning them away at the door, even though they were high quality professionals, just because they weren't referred to us. And that seemed kind of counterintuitive to us, um, especially when we're a platform that provides greater access. So if, high-quality professional knocks on our door and we can verify that, you know, that they are who they are. Sure. Then why, why, why bring them, them away? On. Just right. Exactly. So we built software that enables us to um, uh, vet and qualify and curate uh, anyone who wants to join the network and, and figure out who they are very quickly and, and, you know, rank and score them to make sure that we could do that at scale versus, doing it more subjectively by putting a pair of human eyeballs on a, on a LinkedIn profile. Sure. We didn't think that was very scalable. And then right. we also thought it was prone to bias. No question. And we want to, re- we want to remove as much bias from the, the, uh, you know, we want to remove all bias from, from the, the process evaluation process as possible. Yeah. So talk about the revenue model for the business. I mean, I, uh, I'm, I'm surprised and I thought over time I would be asked to pay some sort of subscription to be a part of that community. But uh, what is your thought on the revenue model for the, and growth for the business? I know you, you've taken on, you've raised what, $6.5 million in VC money, which is awesome. Um, and talk about the growth from that perspective. 
Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of our members have actually asked proactively to, to pay us, uh, uh <laughs> which is unbelievable they, they, Yeah, <laughs> to, uh, to pay us for access for sure. the points instead of having to earn the points, they want to buy the points and we've resisted that temptation. Um, or I should say we've resisted that, uh, offer mainly because we're a marketplace and we have supply demand, you know, dynamics and, you know, we, we think that if you could just buy the points and not earn them, it's going to disrupt that, you know, supply-demand equilibrium. More importantly, you know, uh, again, we, we want to create a level playing field here. We want to sure. democratize executive search. And, sure. you know, if, if certain members can just buy access instead of earning right. it, um, that, that, that disadvantages those. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and more importantly, and, uh, you know, the most important thing I should say is, we built this network for our members, for the candidate, for the professionals who I believe are the most important people in the process. And to charge them for the service seems uh, like we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. <laughs> right, and that, right. that just doesn't seem right to me. Right. No question. Well, as you've grown this business over the last two or three years, I'm sure there's been some big lessons learned and maybe lessons learned that are different than your other startup experiences. Share with our audience maybe two or three of those that... Um, would be helpful for others to know as they're launching their businesses. Yeah. I mean, I'd say the majority of them are actually similar. Uh, you know, starting companies is extremely hard. I think it's, you know, uh, nothing against, you know, any other profession out there, but I think it's one of the, if not the hardest thing to do in a career, which is to start a company from the ground up and, and turn it into a successful company that can stand on its own two feet and, and, and hopefully, you know, uh, give a return to its shareholders it's and provide value to its customers. It's extremely, extremely, extremely hard. And, um, it doesn't matter if you've had, you know, success, you know, to, to that point in your career, it doesn't make it any easier. Um, so it, it takes a ton of perseverance, persistence, thick skin, uh, <laughs> fortitude, grit, um, uh, maniacal obsession, um, uh, passion, um, you know, uh, uh, overcoming naysayers and, and obstacles. And it, it's just, yeah, you have to have, you have to be uh, a bulldog in terms of going after the bone and, sure. and you have to keep going, going after it. And, uh, because it's so easy to, um, you know, to, to say to yourself, Oh, there might not be something here or this isn't worth my time because Absolutely. the obstacles and the, uh, pitfalls and the, uh, down, downturns are, are much more prevalent than the positives. Um, and you really have to latch on to those, you know, uh, you know, occasional positives that materialize because when you're starting your company, the, the, the things that get you down are much usually larger, you know, more frequent than, and prevalent than the, than the positives. You know, I think, uh, there's this big misnomer created by the media, um, to be quite honest, uh, that entrepreneurship is, you know, similar to Hollywood and it's, you know, it's all, it's all fun Damn, games and, right. and it's all, it's all, you know, positive and everyone's out there selling companies for billions of dollars. Right. Exactly. The, the reality is, is that, you know, it's, uh, those are outliers. Those are one out of hundreds of thousands of new companies that get started that have successful outcomes like that. Um, the vast majority of companies actually go under and fail yeah. and the vast majority actually, you know, uh, uh, go sideways. Um, and that's, those stories don't get written about. Um, but, but, you know, when you live it every day, 
uh, and you're bypassing, you know, amazing career opportunities to do it, um, you know, and you have, you know, family and mortgage and all this, it's, it's difficult. Um, but if you believe in something and you believe like you're, you're truly adding value and that there's something there, you'll continue to go after it. Um, so the best advice I would offer is, you know, one, be careful what you wish for. If you want to start a company (laughs) two is, you know, make sure that you're serious about it and that you don't give up easily. That's pretty awesome advice. Well, uh, this has been, Great conversation. Share with our our listeners how they can find you, how they can engage in the platform and whatnot. Yeah. So all they have to do is go to execthread.com, E-X-E-C-T-H-R-E-A-D.com and click the join button. And uh, all they have to do is tell us their name, give us their email address and and we'll take care of the rest. Um, You know, I would encourage anyone who wants to get more access to um, who feels like they deserve more access and wants more access to some of the best jobs in the world to, to join the network. That's just awesome. Yeah. I love the platform, love the service, love being a part of it. Feel like, you know, it, it, the give to get model, I think is just a great, a great model for your company. And um, I appreciate you coming on the podcast today, Joe. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, no worries. One other thing I want to say is, uh, you know, we, we obviously want anyone who, uh, you know, feels like they would benefit from a network like this to, to join. But I would encourage anyone uh, who's a, a woman professional out there, or anyone who comes from uh, an underrepresented you know demographic, whether it's you're a person of color, whether you're a veteran, whether you're disabled, um, you know, anyone who feels like they have not had uh, equal access to these types of, you know, uh, amazing jobs definitely join the network. You'll benefit disproportionately from it. Yeah, I think that's what's cool about this is you're a for community. You're for so many different types of people that potentially are looking to make a career change or looking for that next opportunity. They just don't have access. I think that's just an incredible model. This is an industry executive search that has excluded so many people in spite of, you know, some of the folks that are excluding deserving and warranting access. Um, you know, it's an old boys network. It's uh, it's a who you know, and uh, Justin, as you know, that that disproportionately favors um, you know people who have been in positions of no uh, question. power, no um, question. and uh, and and this platform levels the playing field. I love it. Well, hey Joe, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.